There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Alex. He has hemophilia. Let's talk about it. Uh, Sitting down with none other than Alex Dowsett. Uh, I'm just going to get this right out of the way. Alex, you are a British professional road cycling, road racing cyclist who currently rides for the UCI World Team Israel Startup Nation. Two times Giro d'Italia stage winner, six times individual time trial British national champion and former hour record holder. I just heard Taylor jizz his pants, <laughs> folks. It's, uh, we are sitting down with a professional cyclist. This is Taylor's uh, wheelhouse. This is like, he's been, he's been giddy all day. Through. I told him I wouldn't embarrass him. I think I already have. You already have. I'm sweating. Uh, but Alex, it is a, it's a fucking pleasure to sit down and chat with you today. Uh, not only are, are you uh, obviously really good at, uh, Riding bikes. Uh, you're also here to talk to us about uh, living a life with something we've never co- covered on the show before. Yeah, yeah, for real. Which is hemophilia. And I don't think I know jack shit about hemophilia. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think if I, if I, I think the only thing I know is that it's a, correct me if I'm wrong, it is a blood disorder, right? Or Yes. Or it's something to do with the blood. It's my sure. favorite thing when yeah. we don't know thing, things about stuff like this and we just say like what we know right off the bat. And <clears throat> all I know about hemophilia is that, or all I think I know about hemophilia is that if you get a cut, you can bleed forever and it's bad. That's my... All that's I know my... about hemophilia is that Alex is going to fill us in <laughs> <laughs> on, what it, on what it is. So Alex, Alex. what is hemophilia? <laughs> uh, so... Um, Hemophilia, like you say, it's a, it's a blood disorder. Um, nice. It's, yeah, I mean, put simply, my blood, without medication, my blood doesn't clot. Um, and there's different forms of hemophilia. I mean, if, if we, uh, if basically, there's, there's 13 steps to your blood forming a, forming a coagulation, forming a clot, um, whether it be internally or externally. And I don't have the eighth one. Um, which is problematic when you want the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so without medication, what that um, it's interesting because people jump to the conclusion. I mean, the first thing they kind of say is like, "Will you die if you get a paper cut?" Yeah, yeah. And no. <laughs> uh, even with that, if I haven't had any medication, it's still a no because the body is quite an incredible thing. And for something that small, it will find a way around it. Um, if I have a more serious cut, then yes, that's an issue. Uh, but actually, the probably the biggest issues in hemophilax is internal bleeding. So bleeding into joints, bleeding uh. into muscles, um, brain hemorrhages, um, yeah, it's it's not it's, right. it's not much fun. Um, can, right. can that stuff happen? Like like uh, you when you say internal bleeding, um, it's that that sounds really scary and dangerous. And I think of like the internal bleeding that happens if you're in like if you uh, have like serious trauma doing something. Say you're in like a cycling accident, um, and you don't actually cut on the surface, but something happens inside where somebody who isn't a hemophiliac. Uh, or doesn't live with hemophilia, uh, their body, they might not know that they're cut inside, that they're bleeding internally, but their body can just naturally fix that? Like, is that the case? Like, does your body just bleed internally? Sometimes and you fi- like, we would and you never know. It? 
Yeah. I have, dude, that's a very yeah. intelligent question. I mean, that's what that's what bru- um, bruises. I mean, I'm gonna we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get so many fucking letters from doctors being like, "You guys are idiots." Yeah, but like, isn't that kind of what a bruise is? It's like I'm it's blood internal, right? Like, <laughs> You're a peach. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you bruise, do you bruise really like crazy? <laughs> do you do you have wild bruising? Uh, without my medication, and, and I think if I hadn't had it for a while, then mm. yes. And mm. certainly when I was a kid, before I was diagnosed, that was. That was one of the alarm bells, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, you, you guys. So it, the internal stuff can happen um, through some kind of trauma, like trip over, hit, mm. bang the elbow or something. But also just spontaneously, mm. um, which it, it kind of it happens to everyone, except like non-hemophiliacs won't know about it because your body just deals right. with it nice mm. and quick. Um, for me, so say it's a joint bleed, it kind of feels quite similar to breaking, like breaking an elbow. If I have Whoa. a joint bleed into the elbow, is in not, um, is in it's just painful to move. I, I keep it in one position and right, just right. to straighten my arm hurts, to bend it hurts. I just sort of keep it in the same position. And, um, like, and I'm sort of talking about when I was a kid here because it, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, mm. So, well- Bring us back to when you were when you were when you were a kid. Like how how does it how how old are you when you get a diagnosis? How do you, how do you come around to you, getting a diagnosis? Catch, how do you catch hemophilia? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've got to get my genetics right here. Um, so it's, hemophilia is quite unique. Normally, people have heard of it for uh, two reasons. One quite better than the other. The good reason is it's often used in biology class in school because it's of its unique nature uh, because of the way it's carried on the chromosomes men have it women carry it um wait so women can't have hemophilia it's, it's super rare it's super rare. Oh, wow. like if, like if i my other half would have to be a carrier of hemophilia and me to have it so mm. i think have a daughter that actually has right hemophilia so it is so a gen- it's, it's a genetic it's a genetic uh, it's passed on genetically Yes. So Congenital. my mum, my mother is a carrier, um, and there was no history of it fam- in her family. Like, so they, again, there's two. There's generally two scenarios. You either know about it or you don't know about it. In our case, we don't didn't know about it. Which, um, like our story, wasn't great, but there's far worse. So um, I was born uh, eight, for eighteen months. My parents sort of thought something wasn't quite right. Um, I bruised like a peach yeah. uh, to the point where they like mum and dad had picked me up, put me down and I'd have like thumb or fingerprints across my ribs. Whoa. Which just sort of come out in a bruise. And Jesus. Um, That'd be so scary. If, like do like picking up your baby and thinking that you're hurting. Yeah. Can you imagine being a parent being baby? like, are we just doing this wrong? Am like I too strong? Are, yeah. Are we are we picking this baby up with too much vigor? <laughs> <laughs> were your were I your parents this was gentle? Were your parents also world champion athletes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, right. well, my mom and my dad were strong men and women. <laughs> uh, my, dad, my dad was a racing car driver, so like he had a good grip. But uh, so in the end, when I was 18 months, I mean, after numerous trips to the hospital and mm. doctors and my parents going, something's not right. And the doctors sending them away saying, it's just a baby that bruises easily. Um, don't worry about it. And in the end, when I was 18 months old, my mum said to the doctor, something isn't right. I know it's not right. I want blood test. And the doctor, doctor was real rude to my to my mum and dad, like to the point where he threw the documents across because he disagreed about putting an 18 month year old through blood tests. Well. Um then had the blood tests. Coincidentally I fell over on the way out the surgery and split, you know, a little bit of skin down <clears throat> between your lip and your gum. I split oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm, um mm-hmm. and so what again, this is one of those deep cuts I was talking about. So what happens is it look mum and dad put me to bed. It looked like everything was sort of fine and then it looked like it was forming a clot and then that clot would break down and it'd start bleeding again and kind of went through this process mum and dad checked on me in the night i was sleeping in a pool of blood um, oh my god and it was like alarm bells yeah. ringing obviously and they phoned up um 999 or 911 999 for us 911 <laughs> for you guys um 
and a night because mum and dad thought it was leukemia um but the oh, night fuck. doctor that came over was like i think he might have hemophilia and the blood test came back days later to confirm it um so the original doctor was quite apologetic yeah yeah so he I was imagine. gonna look up oh shit yeah so then the sort of journey kind of began and the um so the other thing people have heard about with hemophilia is it's linked to hiv and hepatitis and hmm. now i missed all that by the skin of my teeth um which is quite a big thing in the uk is, is basically where they were treating hemophiliacs with concentrated blood transfusions they were coming from um people who are being paid to give blood and not being screened or anything. So oh, a, a huge amount of them were contaminated with HIV and hepatitis. Holy shit. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's real, like, poor. And there's still a few alive today who are still um, sort of suffering that. So yeah, wait, the people, the, the people who, the people who had hemophilia were getting blood donations from this like dodgy blood clinic service or like they just weren't screening blood at the time and people were getting paid to donate it so there was like a lot of contaminated blood that's crazy well yeah think about the time too i mean what what year are you born alex in mid 80s 88 88. so like i mean think about this like the like hiv at that time you know like yeah like if if you told me it happened in the 50s i would believe you i'd say anything could happen in the 50s brian thinks that anything brian thinks that anything can happen in the 50s but the 80s like that's a a little bit more shocking that's a different story (laughs) but yeah you think about the you think about hiv in the in the in the late 80s early 90s and like what the i mean just like the lack of information that they had in terms of that and then and then i'm I'm, but alex when you say you missed it just but you just missed it do you mean that um you know this 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 very unfortunate event, which is uh, a, a a fuckload of people who are suffering from hemophilia <laughs> receiving tr- blood transfusions with blood that is infected. Yeah. Th- that they they sort of caught that they caught what was going on and implemented changes, and this these changes kind of came into play right before you guys kind of figured out. Oh, Alex has hemophilia. Yeah, so I think if I was born uh, five to ten years earlier, it would have been a different story. It would have been in, in that in that window. I mean, but it wouldn't just be like one person's blood transfusion. These are concentrated. These are yeah. multiple people's oh, right. oh, okay. packed down. So it only then takes. I guess it only takes one person Fuck. in there to be infected. Whoa! Well, that's, that's yeah. Wild. That's um, so. So then, so as as a baby, okay, you you know your folks. Uh, you split the the frenulum in your lip. Your your folks are told like, oh, this this is very likely hemophilia. Yeah, comes back that it is that is the case. Yes. What like in the in eighty eight or eighty nine? What like what what do they do? Like, what do you do? What do you do with a what do you do with an infant that has hemophilia? Do they? I mean, is it is it a, a matter of drugs so or you, bu- you bubble wrap them? That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so they just toss you in a bubble and roll you down the hill. Like, what do they do? Um, oh, I mean, so then we we swap hospitals to a specialist hospital up in London, um, and mum and dad start learning about it. And uh, there was some real like we, uh, lucky, and I had a very forward thinking doctor who was very. Um, uh, pro, he's very pro exercise because he was like, look, we, we, there's medication here that's that's good, but also being fit and healthy is just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so he was very much like swimming is uh, swimming is very good for hemophiliacs because it's low impact. Like there's no there's mm. basically, I mean, if you if you injure yourself in a swimming pool, you're doing well. <laughs> um, <laughs> true that and it works everything in your body so it keeps you like fit and strong so mum and dad they oh, i think i was doing swimming lessons five nights a week in five different towns just they're just sort of scoping out all of the pools to and he just just give me the best kind of chance really um but then the the downside is when i would get these sort of internal blades which um a lot of the time we're either in an elbow or in an ankle. Um, the, the difficult thing for me wasn't the 
internal bleeding. It was actually the, I knew an injection followed and that was the bit I hated because you know, injecting a kid isn't, get like it's intravenous, so it's not. What, uh, what is the injection body. typically? It's a synthetic version of the eighth, of the eighth stage. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. And, and these, these internal bleeds, like, are they, is it always due to, uh, to trauma? Like, is it always due to a, like a bump or, or a fall or, or is this one of those things where, fuck, it's making me, it's making me think of this film, uh, called let the right one in. It's a, if anyone hasn't watched it, it's an incredible, um, vampire film, but there's a scene where it like, you know, the lore of vampires is like, they can't enter your home unless you invite them in. <laughs> and it's a little girl. She's the vampire. And she's she's kind of falling in love with the little boy who lives next door who is not a vampire. And he knows she's a vampire. And she comes over and he's like, just he doesn't tell her to come in and he won't do it. He wants to see what will happen if she just so she comes in. She's like, all right, fine, you want to see what happens? And she walks in and all of a sudden just starts bleeding out of her fucking eyes and her so, shoulders. So, I mean, are, is hemophilia like, like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I mean, you like, don't get invited so, into a home, so, yeah. will your eyes bleed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know the lore. Tell me the lore. Like, how much of this is coming from Transylvania? No, is, is, it, is it always from a bump or, or can it just be like spontaneous bleeds? Like, can it just be, oh, the, the, the lining of your internal organs kind of just just spill out just start to bleed out yeah i mean it's almost exactly nothing like what you've described (laughs) (laughs) why did i why did i anticipate that (laughs) you don't say um uh, organ bleeds are not i was we were only ever warned about brain hemorrhaging um right generally muscles and joints were the Mm. uh were the um, were the sort of ones that were very noticeable because of the use of, like, I would start limping and mum and dad would be like, have you got a bleed? Mm. I'd say no. And then they'd make me walk up and down and I wouldn't be able to do it without limping. So it'd be off to, well, mum and dad would try to inject me and then if if they couldn't find a vein, then it'd be off to the, off to the hospital. Whoa, oh, wait, okay, Jesus wait, that's, wait. That's, so, that's nightmarish. So you... Um, so you would try to hide it because you didn't want to get injected because you yeah. didn't like the injections, but then yeah. they, they could actually, they administered the injections to you. Like, is that a normal thing? Is that like a, an early nineties well, It's probably thing? like no, it's a UK <laughs> thing, man. They're just fucking wild over there. They're buck wild. They're like, <laughs> get your parents to poke you. Don't come here. Uh, oh, it was, no, it was quite, yeah, it's quite normal. Yeah. Um, I feel like so that's what diabetics are like when they're young, parents, probably. Yeah. Well, parents are hemophiliacs. So we had numerous visits from nurses to teach mum and dad how to do it. They'd practice on each other. Right, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then when I was nine, it was like my turn to start learning. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd practice on them. Um, so I, was, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I, was, I, was really, uh, I was really surprised to read. Um, I was really surprised to read in the pre-interview notes that, that, that cycling was a was – a, a promoted sport because of because it was because of how safe it was for you. I, and, like, and you know I mean, you know why Taylor's so surprised about that? Because two years ago, while he was on his bike, he got creamed by a fucking taxi and bounced off the windshield. Dude, if you had hemophilia, you would not. Yeah, have made yeah. It. I was. Yeah, I read that and I flashed back to me being hit by a car and I went, "Oh man, that would have been bad." Yeah, that would have been real bad. And and I was like, "Holy shit, cycling safe like." I mean, I guess from, I guess the low impact, like when you talk mm. about swimming and low impact, yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess that makes sense. As long as cars aren't involved, it is <laughs> yeah. low impact. There's no cars, yeah. in, there's no cars in the pool. Yeah. So like swimming yeah. seems like a no brainer, but what so, was yeah. that all like? What was that all about? What, or was that the reasoning for cycling being a safe sport as a young kid? No. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like you say, cycling is low impact. Cycling is safe until you, until you have a, a one-on-one with a taxi. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so um, navigating school had its uh, ups and downs. Um, I was like, I was not invited to a lot of birthday parties. Some of them because of, they were activity based. Um, some parents knew about the HIV link and didn't want me there. Oh no! Um, oh. So that was uh, yeah. There was that, and then. But then there was sports, and I generally 
got stuck in, in in school because rugby was generally touch rugby, so there was no tackling. Um, mm. And football was uh, football's reasonably harmless. But then when you go to senior school, um, things get a bit more um, uh, rough. So I was having to sit out uh, football and rugby, which in the UK, there are basically are no other sports in school other right, than that. Yeah. So, mm. um, so I, I think I then... I developed this stubborn attitude, which you see in a lot of a lot of young haemophiliacs, where you've been told you've had a, suddenly had a lifetime of being told what you can't do. Right. Um, and I think young haemophiliacs generally go one or two ways: they either go and do it anyway, or they, um, or if they have parents as lucky as I was, uh, as lucky as I was enough. His parents says, "Yeah, you, yeah, you got it. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Had good, good <laughs> you parents. Were, you were on the right track there." Um, <laughs> They were like, well, you can't do this, but let's go try this. Um, mm. So they kind of steered me in a different direction. Now, at the same time, I was swimming badly five or six times a week. Um, you know, like the early starts and uh, it was it was competitive, but I wasn't very good, but I didn't mind because I just did it. Um, and I think it had been drilled into me that I didn't really have a choice either. Mm. Um it was sort of, I, I put it alongside my medication as to how important it was. Um, and the medication had changed from being reactive to prophylactic. So instead of having an internal bleed, then taking medication to fix it, I'd moved on to having medication every second day so that I didn't have any problems. Was, um, that, was that a result of your age or was that a result of the advancements in, in treatment for hemophilia? It was... I think it was a result of advancements because mm. young hemophiliacs now are on uh, prophylactic treatment. It's a proactive mm. treatment from mm. the word go. How um, how effective is that treatment? Because like I'm I'm guessing that because you still have to take a lot of precautions and be careful about how you know the the types of trauma that you put your body through. It, like, is that medication very effective or only like sort of effective? No, nah, it's really effective, and actually. Yeah. Um, I don't take any, or in the cycling world, I don't take any precautions. You're probably not going to see me in a boxing ring anytime soon. Um, <laughs> right, right. No, or, no, you, no YouTube boxing matches yeah. <laughs> coming up? No, no, no. Um, but as far as cycling goes, I'm not any different to any of my teammates. And actually, you, you, like any of you right now could be sat there with, um, so hemophilia comes in, there's A, B, um, and then there's, there's different types of hemophilia depending on whether you're missing the eighth stage. The hmm. I think the thirteenth stage is really bad to have, but incredibly rare. rare. Um, ninth and seventh, the two ones that are missing, and then you can have different severities. So I I have the most common form of hemophilia, which is one in uh, one in five thousand men, um, and I have it as bad as you could possibly get, which means I have a zero percent um, level of it. No you guys could be sat there at 15% and never know. Oh, wow. Mm. So, I, yeah, I have, I, I don't have hemophilia, but I do have, um, well, fuck, I don't know. I, sh I shouldn't say that. I don't know much about mm, yourself. I, yeah, myself. <laughs> uh, but I do have, I do have issues with clotting sometimes. And, but it's, but it's, it's, um, I think it's less due to, reasons of hemophilia and more due to my inability to process vitamins. Mm -hmm. So, so my body doesn't br break down and like maintain vitamin K and vitamin K is a vitamin that is used in the body to help clot blood. And so when I am bleeding, when I'm coughing and have like, you know, blood in my sputum or blood in my, like coming out of my lungs, I, I live with cystic fibrosis, Alex. I was just so, about to say, just, yeah. just, in, just in case you yeah, thought that so you that know. was like a random. I'm coughing up blood, whatever. It's no big deal. I'm, I'm healthy. Um, but when I do have blood in my sputum, they're like, oh, you just need high, high doses of vitamin K. And then I take four days worth of vitamin K and then it just goes away. But I, I don't think that's hemophilia. I think that's just like a vitamin deficiency. No, yeah. I'm just a weak, weak human. That's all. That's all. <laughs> um, so I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you, Alex. How? So you've been you've been at the top level of you've been at the top level of pro bike racing for like a decade, and coming from 
you know, I, I played, I played really high level, uh, hockey was like an aspiring professional in that realm. And I've, I've sort of like crossed over into, um, uh, bike racing over the past few years. And so like, obviously two very different things, but like getting a sense of like the type of like how, like how much stress you put on your body when you're, when you're, when you're riding a bike and when you're training and, when you are having growing up with hemophilia and this sort of like kind of very he- like hesitant nature around athletics and and getting into uh, sports at, at, in like a serious way, how do you how how do you find cycling and and how do you how do you start to realize again knowing that it that th- what it takes from like a cardiovascular and fitness perspective to get to the top level of cycling, how do you, do you have, do you have an inbuilt sort of like mechanism that's like top level athletics are not for me because I've been told that, that, that I'm, I'm just supposed to like stay healthy and fit for my hemophilia and I'm too like, fragile. I'm too yeah, fragile. I'm a bubble yeah. boy. Yeah. Like how do you go about recognizing what kind of talent, uh, that you have? Um, so I think it goes, it goes back to the, um, the stubborn attitude and my wonderful parents. Um, so we, we, I, I didn't know, but we were trying these different sports and, my mum and dad would always be like, let's go. I mean, my dad used to windsurf a bit and at the windsurfing club, there was also a sailing club and like, that looks safe. Um, like, let's, let's go and try sailing. And got into it and you know, mum and dad supported me as much as they could and like, my sister got into it as well. And then there's, but then there'd, there'd be precautions because of the haemophilia, like, um, like the sail's attached to a, metal bar that when you change direction swings across the boat uh it's called the boom because that's the noise it makes when it hits you on the head brain hemorrhages <laughs> and hemophilia <laughs> not fun <laughs> um, so i i'm like the only kid there with a the helmet on except <laughs> like my parents didn't think that was fair so my sister had to wear one as well <laughs> uh, so um but I did that, stuck at that. I was, I was good at a club level and then went to an international competition, got my ass absolutely handed to me. And I think, and that was like the day I lost interest because I looked at the gap between me and the front and I was like, you know what? That's <laughs> too much. I'm not, I haven't, whatever it is you need for this, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the same as swimming as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then my dad had started mountain biking with his mates on a Thursday night. And by this point as well, with the haemophilia, um, with the with the prophylactic treatment, with the amount that I was swimming, with how fit and healthy I was, I wasn't getting any problems. So um, I had no internal bleeds. Like the checkups were, like we used to joke, that we used to say we'd just go there for the half yearly checkup where the doctors would tell me that I still had haemophilia and then I'd go home. Um, <laughs> And, but you know, there's, there's so many other hemophiliacs that were having, having issues. And I think a lot of that came down to my fitness. Um, so we started, I guess we started treading our own path a bit. Um, like not, not saying we weren't following the doctor's um, direction, but we were, we, were pushing the, we were pushing the boundaries a bit. We were pushing the envelope. Um, my dad had started mountain biking on a Thursday night with his mates and one of his mates, I, I joined him um, and sort of yeah, got into it and obviously the helmet and elbow pads and all that um, just for to be safe. Um, I was going to say, I thought when you, when you said that you were wearing a helmet sailing, the, the, you just thought biking would make sense because then you could wear a helmet <laughs> and you just fit in. And everybody yeah. has yeah. to wear one. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it would be normal. <laughs> except, except at this time, maybe not since like, Helmets and yeah, riding, yeah, yeah. and like they weren't yeah. they weren't mandatory for, like, oh, yeah, for a I've while. Heard, cool, cool people didn't wear helmets. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it's the other that's, way around now. Yeah, yeah that's, definitely. That's right. So, and one of the one of the guys that was there on the Thursday night, one of my dad's mates, he he was into road riding. His son raced, and I said to him, "I like, can I have a go on one of your road bikes?" So he took me to a race. Um, 
I wasn't hooked. I didn't watch it and go like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I want to do this. I went there and I was like, I'll have a crack at this sport. Um, and I had a go. And then they were like, like you, you pedal nicely. Like my, my technique <laughs> pedaling is, was nice. And, and you're like, it's a round, it's a circle. I go in a, <laughs> I go in a circle. My knees see, bob see, up and down. Yes. <laughs> but you see some people, like they, they put yeah. their whole body into it. I don't. I'm just sort of dead still, just a pedal with my legs rather than my whole body. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then, so just carried on and then went to a, a national championship. And I was 14 by this point. Went to a national championship for under 17-year-olds. And that was that was when the penny dropped that I'd found my thing. I had found the sport that I was good at, um, which I didn't realize until then is basically what I'd been looking for. Um, and it was, yeah, so it was a field of like 100, you had to qualify for it. And then there was a field of like 130 uh, school kids from across the country categorized into ages. So I'm in the 14 year old category. And then um, I was off early. I set the fastest time and then just waited. It was a time trial, so you have to wait for everyone to finish. And it wasn't until, um, yeah, and then I was like, Christ, I'm going to finish top 10 in the in the 16-year-old category and win the 15-year-old category as well as win in the 14-year-old category. Wow. And then it carried on and, and then it got to a point where I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this overall. Hmm. And then... Oh the because they give you a halfway checkpoint and the last the final guy the guy that seeded best went through it slower than i did i was like okay and then he turned it round and beat me to the finish but the i remember looking at that top 10 and it was like 16 year old 14 year old and then 16 year olds for the rest of the yeah. rest mm. of the top 10 and it was like no nah, this is this is this is my thing so then we went to the doctors and said we've we've taken up competitive cycling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's final. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, a doctor sort of, he's, he's, he's brilliant. His name was uh, Brian Colvin. He was, um, he was one of the legends of haemophilia. Um, he's always had these guys. He pushed his up, pushed them up his nose. And he was like, well, we'd rather you play chess or a musical instrument. <laughs> but... Yes. If if that's what you want to do, then then we'll support you. And I, I think it's basically with the advances in the medication, with how fit I was, we, we're in, we're into uncharted territory. Um, so they were kind of willing to let me. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I was an experiment. I don't know. Um, but so so we just carried on from there, and and just carried on racing. I never thought of myself any different as long as I woke up, had my medication um, and then went racing. And I didn't, Ooh. I took as many risks as anyone else. It just, it never crossed my mind. Um, <clears throat> I think there was only one crash where it crossed my mind and that was, I'd, uh, it was in Poland. I'd taken a chain ring. It kind of got me on the neck. Oh, um, a you, real you? awkward crash. And because it was in the finish, it was like, Adrenaline was pumping, and I looked down, and I got this navy blue jersey that was just red. And oh fuck! And it was a chain ring, not a disc break. It was a chain ring. <laughs> um, and a paramedic comes over. He's like, "You're right." I was like, "I don't can, know." You can we get me. more technical there, Taylor, with the gear? <laughs> hey, I'm just like, you know, people think a people, chain ring, people not a disc break, but it could have been. The people think break. disc breaks are are dangerous. I'm just saying. <clears throat> This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note, 
by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Where the story comes back to is like when I started cycling, I was, I was immediately quite fast um, mm. because I was fit from my swimming. And mm. then I, I only tried it because of what I couldn't do in school. And what I couldn't do in school was because of my hemophilia. So it's kind of in a, in a real mm. roundabout way that shouldn't have, shouldn't have been. I've, I've stepped into a, a semi-dangerous sport because yeah. of my hemophilia. But and yeah. it's... But it's actually a real positive story yeah. from it, from something that 31 years ago was so negative. And I can only, I can only imagine that, uh, you know, uh, that your story is one that is, that is quite inspiring for a lot of younger, uh, younger folks who are living with hemophilia now, right? Like, um, you, you, do, you do a lot of charity work. Can you tell us a little bit about, about Little Bleeders? Yeah, so... Um, Little Bleeders is my my uh, charity. Funnily enough, we actually had trouble getting it through the charity commission because because of the name. No, <laughs> because of, <laughs> because of the old folk behind, like the old folk that decide didn't oh, think yeah. that yeah. cycling was a good sport to promote. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. they were like, don't right. get more well, people uh, into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but they, no, so we, um, yeah, we focus on the UK or anyone that really contacts us, but the main focus is from the UK, um, on providing kind of providing support, providing, uh, we do a lot of government lobbying to make sure that there's equal care for hemophiliacs across the country. So Mm. like, for example, some, even though, we have a very good healthcare service. However, mm-hmm. there was a kid in Manchester whose hospital was saying, you must not play football. If you play football, we're going to cut off your like medication supply. Mm. Oh, wow. They got in touch and we were like, they can't do this, but it is in your right to go and change hospitals, which they did. And then the kid played for the sort of young boy played football. Um, mm. So we do a lot of that. Um, we are we're starting up like a sports fund. So for if if a young hemophiliac needs some financial help to get into uh, get into a sport, or if they want to go and do um, like a triathlon and abroad, mm-hmm. sort of you know some help there. Um, but to be honest, the the long term goal, which is far more difficult, is to try and get to a point where there's equal care given across the world. Because mm. um, haemophilia is, is not, uh, it isn't equal. Like we're very lucky in the UK. Um, I think in the, U- in the US, provided there's insurance, then the, the level of care is very good. Um, but then when you get into third world countries, your like, haemophiliacs are in a position before the HIV debacle so they're in a position where there is no medication and right. that the consequences of that are like very debilitating <clears throat> life shortening um you're talking like wheelchairs and f- joint fusions and mm. it's just a real tough time and that's that that's the part that really isn't fair um because treatments it, it's expensive it's really expensive medication like hideously expensive actually mm. and um you know, the pharmaceutical world is such a is such an interesting um, business model because like, if it didn't mm-hmm. exist, then we'd all like, would be where we were in the eighteen hundreds or yeah. before, yeah. Uh, like not making it past the age of twenty five or something. But yeah. then when you add money to it, it's it, it's such a it is it is a a very trippy. That's so funny, sort of model. Because you know? uh, before, before, like, I mean, I've known Jeremy since we were like twelve years old. But until we started doing this podcast about six years ago, I had not really thought about. Like, I had always been like this kid growing up. That's like, fuck big pharma. Those those companies are so corrupt. 
But then, like, understanding what Jeremy goes through and all the pills that he has to take every day and the fact that, big like, pharma he wouldn't be alive, alive without yeah. Big Pharma. Yeah. It's like yeah. this weird it's sort very of, like... Polarized, yeah. It's yeah, a very it's like polarized environment. They're good in this way, but then money makes it kind of shitty. And yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, the, I mean that's, a, that's an entire discussion, but yeah. I think that's more... more <laughs> less so Big Pharma and more so capitalism. I just really. like saying that's, Big like, Pharma. That's what it is. Yeah, well, I just like it. I like the way it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> one of the... Um, one of the... So... One of the reasons why I really I, I I was familiar that you were because I've been following your YouTube channel for a bit and I was familiar that you had hemophilia, that you lived with hemophilia, um, but the the sort of catalyst that uh, that came up for to want to get you on the show, Alex, was that I saw in I can't remember maybe it was November, and I don't know where this is now because I know that you had been you've been training to uh, to to reattempt or to retake the world hour record. Um, a record that you held in 20, 2015, 2015. Um, what is the world uh, hour record for people who don't know? Yeah. So, so, so you held the world hour record. You want to, you want to, you want to re, um, you want to take the world hour record again. And I had seen in a video that you were raising money for little bleeders and you were talking about, hemophilia and that was kind of the the catalyst for that so um i guess first question is what is brian's question like for everybody who doesn't know fill us in on what the world hour record is the prestige the the kind of history of it um and and then where is that for you now so world hour record is i put simply it's as far as you can go on a push bike in an hour um just have to do it in a velodrome so you can't pick a big downhill and, yeah <laughs> um, yeah so it's in an indoor track and you start when the clock because the stopwatch starts and then it's um sort of all guns blazing for an hour basically um <laughs> and that yeah, sounds I, like it sucks yeah. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. it sucks it like that <laughs> <laughs> um there's, there's a huge amount of history to it uh some very cool history and it's it's quite something to have my name in that um but it was you know i could have gone further i mean i i clocked a distance are you miles or kilometers over over there kilometers okay i clocked a distance of 52.94 kilometers and the record now is 55 and a little bit um so because uh, we've yeah there's a lot of data involved and on the day i mean i've i've put it very simply that it is a hugely complicated Mm-hmm. um event that involves wind tunnels and power outputs and um all sorts and basically we crunched all the numbers and we're like i can go a lot further so we um i've been wanting to do it for the last five years but my uh teams my trade team has always kind of got in the way um so this year it was kind of not now or never but like I could easily put it off another year or I could just do it. And mm. um, we just did it. Well, we just went to do it. We had it all finalized, made the announcement. And then, in fact, that was the first day I had coronavirus. Yeah, because I, oh, I, I remember oh, I remember watching it. I saw the video and then I feel like, yeah. <laughs> and then what? it was like, oh, psych, COVID. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> dude. It's so, like, I mean, I know COVID kind of fucks a lot of things up in people. Was there when you when you caught it? Did you have any? Did you have any concerns about how COVID um, may or may not kind of pl- play a role into your hemophilia? No, it's just no, completely it's separate. Just, just like yeah, not even a I worry. think it's like blood condition, respiratory yeah. condition. Sure, um, they don't. There was no yeah two separate no containers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but obviously that was a massive wrench in because I know, like I know. The I know the hour record is like comes down to like the details of the material of the skin suit you're wearing and like all these little things. So obviously, getting COVID, <laughs> you know, yeah. right before the event <laughs> yeah. was not a was going to be too it's big of an deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not. I, I know a exactly deal. what you mean by preparing for the hour record, though, in the sense of like you guys know when you're playing a video game 
that like is time based. I like where this to, is going. You it's like to, the vampire analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. No, 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 no. You're with I'm me. Here. I'm with you. It's yeah. when you when you're when you're doing like a race in a video game, and it comes down to that precise maneuvering. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. immediately I think of uh, Call of Duty in yeah. the shooting range when you're trying to set a record. Right, right, right. And if you miss one shot, if you don't come around the corner as tight as possible, if your thumbs just slide off the stick just a little bit, just a little bit, <clears throat> then you blow the whole attempt, right? Yeah. And you got to restart. You that's why I chalk my. That's why I chalk my thumbs. Yeah, yeah. That's an effective when word I put it, actually. Thanks for, br- thanks for bringing our audience along. Anybody who was, like, lagging behind there yeah. Yeah. in the yeah. hour, in the explanation uh, of the hour record. Um, uh, so having hemophilia is similarly similar to inviting a vampire into your house, and the hour record is basically Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Hey, cycling's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, Alex, I, I, I mean, obviously COVID is... Um, is a uh, bummer, uh, yeah. and and everyone everyone pretty much in the world is trying not to catch it. Um, but I I COVID aside, um, you know it it is it, it's it's fascinating to hear you talk about your your upbringing in sort of navigating um, the, your own world of of physical fitness while managing hemophilia. And and just this kind of like organic and 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 quite beautiful way that you stumbled into the world of cycling, um, I as a, as like a as a professional athlete, someone who travels the world doing this sport, someone who spends what I'm, I'm I mean I'm going to assume quite a bit of time training to be the best that you possibly can be. Are there any kind of like special accommodations that you need to consider that maybe somebody else in your field, maybe whether it's a teammate or, you know, anybody else in the world of professional cycling doesn't really have to consider because they don't live with hemophilia? Um, uh, no, and I think that's the nice thing about where I sit is there are no other than taking my medication every morning, um, which for me is normal for other people is mind blowing. Um, right. Right. Cause that's like all, you know, really it's, yeah. it's what you've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bowl of porridge, needle in my arm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, I mean I, that the whole needle thing in, in professional cycling is, is I have to make everyone quite aware of that. Um, because the uh, you know cycling hasn't because of the whole it. doping thing. Yeah, it's, right. it's not got the best history. Um, Have you? Did so. you ever run into that where like you're you're having your porridge and then poking your needle and they're going, "Is he right here, right now?" <laughs> in plain yeah. sight. We're in the yeah. middle. We're in the hotel restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess it's quite two. There's two quite good stories. The first one was when I first turned pro with Team Sky. Um, I, I said to the team, can you just let the riders know um, that I have hemophilia and it involves putting a needle in my arm, but outside of that, I, it's no real cause for concern. And they didn't. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And so he turned up to the first training camp and I was rooming with a Norwegian a Norwegian rider and he walks into the room whilst I'm injecting myself and it's like, looks at me with these huge wide eyes. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I looked at him, I was like, yeah, didn't tell you, did they? I'm a nerd. Yeah. Is it Bosenhagen? Yeah. Oh, so no, no, it was uh, Lars Pesser, Nordhaug. Nord okay. um, Just checking. So that was so. So since then, I've taken it upon myself to tell everyone on the team. So if I join a new team, um, uh, I like we'll generally have a riders WhatsApp group, and I'll just put it like just a heads up, like right, this, right. this is the deal. Um, <laughs> And then in the Giro this year, so it's a three-week stage race, and what precedes that is a one-week stage race called Terreno. So, and we're the same core group of riders, and we've got this wonderful Italian on the team who is very Italian, like the the world. He is center of the universe, um, <laughs> and we'd been we were quite deep into the. We were at the end of the second week, and I, every day for the past three weeks, I'd got on the bus, I'd taken my medication. Like it was clockwork. And he looks around, looks at me. He's like, hey, Alex, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I looked at him, I was like, 
cheer my mate, come on. Like, you know about this. Like, I've told you. He <laughs> just, he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had actually, I had actually seen something uh, on a video that you posted up uh, recently that you had been, that you had gone through uh, Charles de Gaulle at some point oh, yeah. and they yeah. and they saw that you were a pro cyclist and they saw that you had oh, needles yeah. and needles yeah. and stuff and they were like <laughs> they tried to they thought that yeah. you were coming through with with yeah. uh, performance enhancing drugs yeah. which is was such a such a bummer i mean it's a bummer that this that the sport carries that stigma with it but yeah. you know i i feel like it's getting a lot uh, this, yeah better. this guy was just like uh it's it's for the race, eh? I'm like, no, no, it's no, wait, no, 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 wait, no, no, it's, it's for my blood, it's for my blood. And he's like, sure. He's like, is. yes, blood doping. I've yeah. heard of it. I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. And he gives, he sort of winks at me. He's like, normally not allowed. I let you have it as a gift. And I was like, no, nope, you're, no, you're like, I do not want a gift from you, mate. Oh, <laughs> um, I have, um, I, I have, uh, I have three questions that I need to ask before. Um, that to let my cycling nerdery out before we oh, go. You have sure, you yeah, have sure. Do it, it on the show, Tay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Go okay. For it. First question is: How did it feel to win stage eight solo at the Giro last year? Yeah, mental. Like, <laughs> I, I think so. It's quite funny. I, the first time I did the Giro, I won stage eight. It's quite nice that. With hemophilia, I don't have factor eight as well. And then this year's zero was, or last year's zero was stage eight again. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just, uh, it was weird because like, I'm a time trialist and generally those are my, uh, those are where I get results. Um, and I've won one road race in my career um, and the rest of my wins have been in TTs. So kind of, I never wake up thinking like, I'm going to win today. I woke up that day thinking this is a great day for a breakaway. That means the bunch is going to go really easy. I'm going to have a nice like cruisy day to recover a bit. And then <laughs> just with the way things panned out, just kind of, I followed one move. The team had said, look, like get involved, get stuck in. So we did at the start, got in the move that got away and we're off. And then I kind of spent the whole race I, I just, I did have a change of mentality that day. And I was like, looked around. I was like, yeah, these guys, they're all quite good, but there's no good reason why I can't win this. Um, and then uh, we hit that, there was a big hill. or It was quite steep. It wasn't a long hill, but it was quite a steep hill. You hit that at the end twice. And up until that point, I've been like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to win today. And we went up that hill. I was like, right, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to win today now. Um <laughs> So, uh, but then we sort of got back on me and my teammate just turned out an absolute masterclass in team tactics um it was just i mean that was one of the highlights of it because we didn't even talk we just uh, he went and then i just went straight over the top yeah and he then blocked as best he could um i just remember hearing the gap going out because i was like i need to get a buffer before we hit this climb i need to get some time ahead of them before we hit this climb again so that I can still be ahead as we crest the top and then it's eight kilometers to the finish. And the gap went up to about 50 seconds and I was just there thinking like, do they not know I can time trial? Like, do they not <laughs> yeah. know that I, like, this is this is my bread and butter? Um, so yeah, it got over and then it was like 2K to go. They, the, my, the guy in my ear, my director was like, you've got 40 seconds. like. And oh, at that point, I was like, I've, there's, there's no, so I kind of do all the maths in my head. I'm like, if I'm traveling mm. at this speed, they need to travel at this speed to catch me. And at that point, I'm like, they can't catch me. Like, yeah. I can't <clears throat> now lose this unless, unless I crash. Yeah. Um, so I think then I was, because uh, I, I had some contract difficulties this year. I, at that point, I didn't have a job for 2021. So I went into that race thinking this could be my last ever Grand Tour. Like I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I remember coming to the finish line thinking this is probably going to net me a contract, but this could be the last Grand Tour. I mean, like road race wins are quite few and far between. So I'm like, this yeah. could certainly be the last road race win I ever have. I, how do I bottle up those 
those 20 seconds of crossing the line and just try and sort of bottle it up and savor it because it's so easy for it to just go by in a flash and mm. forget it. Like sort of com- comparatively when I won the TT in 2013, I was, I didn't really give, I didn't really give the win the, the, the credit it deserved. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, like, this is my first go at Grand Tours. Like, I've won one. I'm probably going to win a load more of these. Like, arrogant <laughs> this is easy. So, and inevitably that <laughs> yeah, didn't quite turned out to be turned out to be harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be harder yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I was just like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy every second of this. And it was, I, it was mental. Like my my director was like, think about um, how you want to celebrate, like because for some on the radio, like on the radio as you're coming to the line. Well, yeah, yeah, like because some riders, yeah, like sprinters, they they perfect their celebration and they, all the, you know, it's basically like I don't know, dancing or you sort of yeah. compare it to modern day TikTok videos. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's quite a bit of showmanship, and I, was just, I, I didn't know, I didn't think, I just, um, I think it was just like it was raw emotion, and yeah, it was it was quite wonderful. Um, just with everything attached to it as well. Just the Ooh. fact that I didn't have a job and we had a baby on the way, and yeah, it was quite quite something. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it. I watched it live. I saw every second of it, and I was rooting for you the whole way to stay away. Um, second question, and I haven't heard anything uh, publicly on your end. So if this is not public and you don't want to say it yet, um, or the plans aren't clear or anything, that's fine. Um, but is there a is there a plan for the hour record this in 2021? Uh, tentatively post Shiro. Okay. Um, which would be, which would put it at the start of June. Um, mm. That's, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's about time that I need to notify the UCI about it and right. get my team fully on board with it. Because um, they, you know, last year I, I very much went about it my own way. Um in, yeah, the team were signing, to be fair to the team, they were signing Chris Froome. Yeah. They were stepping up again. They had some big things going on. So I think my hour record was seen as a bit of a nuisance at the time. And then and then I announced it and they were like, oh, shit, like you're actually doing this. <laughs> and I wasn't really on any... It was a funny one contractually because um, a lot of my sponsors for the hour record very much conflicted with the team sponsors. Right. Um but it's it's a funny thing because it's not a road event. I didn't have to use the team kit, but as a rider of a team, what you're not allowed to do is contact your own. You're not allowed to contact your team sponsors for an individual mm. venture. So when these sponsors were somewhat pissed off, I was like, "Yeah, but actually, you're the you're the people I would have gone to first, but you're actually the only people I'm not allowed to approach. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. yeah. So change the rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're all very understanding. So yeah, I, I this time round, I would imagine the team would be um quite a bit more on board because they know that I'm I will do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's amazing. And I and I know that you that you had mentioned in December when you when you had announced the first attempt pre-COVID um, and that you were going to be raising some money um, doing as fundraiser for Little Bleeders. So when that, when that, if, if that is still the plan, please let us know so that we can let people know on our audience that, that it's happening. We can tune people in. Uh, you know, I want people on, I want people in Canada to be watching the world hour record more than um, uh, I want them to be getting more into cycling. And we can announce that in terms of like helping I you do. support uh, Little Bleeders. We had um, um, we had a wonderful thing where the the my skin suit, um, the front of my skin suit, not the back, because the Pfizer logo was on my back, um, <laughs> and there's a lot of red tape associated with yeah. their their logo placement. But they were wonderful because they were just like we just want to support it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the front was all uh, I, I'd got the first design of the skin suit through, and it was it was hideous. But you know, that could be refined. Um, but what we did have was uh, we'd put out to the UK Haemophilia Society and the Little Bleeders mailing list anyone that wanted to appear on the skin suit any sort of anyone with haemophilia anyone connected with haemophilia 
were just going to have their name oh. on my skin suit somewhere. That's oh, amazing. That's awesome. I thought you were going to say have their face laminated <laughs> on it. And I was like, that would be yeah. super gnarly. Just a hundred faces. mashed faces into one, just a collage. bunch of eyes. Just a collage yeah. of faces. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my last question is from your, from a, from being a TT specialist, and this is going to be this is this is ultra this is ultra cycling nerdery right here. No one, no one. What components no, no one. would you recommend for? I'm building a bike. And no, I already, I already, I already just built a bike, and I know that shit already. Um, can anybody stop Filippo Ganna in 2021? <laughs> oh, not easily. Um, not easily. He's, oh, he's a problem. <laughs> yeah. that's maybe, all, that's... maybe Remco oh okay, yeah so if, if once Remco's back going if it's a Remco kind of course yeah possibly yeah if and what, it's a Ghana course no chance and Ghana you're talking like 30k or less flat like yeah. Rem, Remco a little bit more rolling yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. totally totally <laughs> Thanks for indulging me, guys. I really appreciate it. I I really do appreciate it. (laughs) We're basically in cycling. We're going through this uh, transition where, like, children are highly fashionable for teams, and actually, they seem to be very good as well. Uh, So, guys like me who are a bit older are becoming somewhat less um, less desirable to teams because they're like, "Where's the next eighteen-year-old?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's been crazy over the last few years. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna hold up. I'm gonna hold a. When you do the hour record, I'm gonna hold a little shindig right here, and we're and we're gonna watch a it. watch party. Yeah, yeah. I'll have right. a watch party. Yeah, uh, Alex, this has been a real pleasure to sit down and shoot the shit with you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your your busy schedule to to do this with us. It really does mean a lot. Oh, very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Alex. Man. Wow, there we go. That was our conversation with Alex. And uh, we'll just take a moment here while Taylor wipes up the cum out of his pants. Um, That was such a lovely time with such a lovely bloke. And uh, we hope you enjoyed that sweet little conversation with Alex all about the fun stuff that he is getting up to with his charity and we do hope you go check it out because it does sound like they're doing a lot of good work for those little bleeders little bleeders little bleeders over there in the UK I just want to I just want to say I know you guys gave me well you guys gave me a lot of stick that's a that's a UK that's a UK phrase we chuffed Um, your muffs yeah (laughs) it gave me a lot of stick and uh and I was just chuffed to bits to talk to Alex and him describing his uh, stage eight Jiro win was actually a highlight of my life. So yeah, I can see your boner, <laughs> and, I'm not, and, not, and I'm not even ashamed. Of that. I actually I'm really, not even I, gonna tuck it. I thoroughly enjoyed that part too. But then when you started asking, you know, can anybody stop Fernando Rodriguez this <laughs> his year? His name's not for, Fernando and, uh, Rodriguez, man. His name's Felipe Gana. Okay, yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, kind of lost me there. <laughs> um, uh, folks, we're so glad you listened. And uh, listen, you can catch the podcast wherever you find podcasts: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the CBC Listen app. If you are in Canada, and uh, you can also catch the podcast. Podcast on YouTube, as we've been saying for weeks now. Uh, going over to YouTube, look up "Sick Boy" and hit the subscribe button. And it, actually, if you're if you're one of those folks who's like, I don't really use YouTube that much, uh, now's a good time yeah. to start. So you can do that, and we would hella appreciate it. Yeah, and if you're sitting out there listening to this podcast and you're thinking, "Hey, I race bikes professionally, and I've won a Grand Tour stage stage races." then tell us about it. And I would love to hear it. I, I will read it on the show. And you can do that by going to letters at sickboypodcast.com and sending it to me, and I'll read it. And I'll convince Jeremy and Brian to, to let me read it on the show, even though they're kind of against it. But I w- will do it. And if you have any other letters that you want to send us in any fan mail, you can send it to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to be one of our amazing guests, go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact, fill out the form, 
and we might have you in the hot seat with us. Yeah, and if you're a, like a, a snorkeling enthusiast, yeah, send us a letter too because we would definitely love to hear about that. And that would certainly be you know representative of the brand of what we do on this podcast. So if you're no, a, no, no, an you avid should, snorkeler, no, no, no. then no, you should for do sure. that if you went snorkeling. <laughs> And you, your snorkel came out of your mouth when you were 50 meters down and you aspirated and died and then were brought back to life while having, while, whilst having somebody else put pressure on the shark wound that you have because you lost your leg by getting your leg bit off. Then, then. Write us. But let's be honest, only if you really died and, you know, you're an interdimensional time traveler and you're able to come back and, and tell us about this moment before it happens because it'll happen in the future. Also, I just want to say that this little jab at me, Brian, would only work if one of us was an incredibly large snorkeling fan. <laughs> well, I actually am. I, yeah. I'm, I love it. <laughs> Yeah. I fucking, I love it. And you, did you watch the World Snorkeling Championships that happened in Finland? I did, yeah. Yari, Tur- Yari was, Turin you, you uh, did really well. there for yeah. that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we dig- digress. Uh, <laughs> thanks to uh, Lauren Sankey for putting up with us, Taylor McGillivray, Jeremy Saunders, and myself for hosting this show, Jeff Lonis, our manager, Donovan the Meerkat Morgan for the sound design, and Rich O'Coin for the theme music. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.